y'all can do better. Quickly walks away. <laughs> so before uh, I get started, I just felt led to do something. Uh, you know we all are going through this experience of life together in a pandemic. And I know this past week, maybe two weeks, has been frustrating for us as we've wondered where we are, unsure where we are. And I just believe that uh, prayer changes things and prayer matters. Uh, there's a lot that we're doing uh, as a community at ECV, a lot that we're doing in our city. Um, I want to add to those efforts with some prayer. And so uh, one of the things that we've done in our Tuesday night space sometimes is to pray in a way where we have a topic and we actually all pray at the same time in one voice saying different things. Um, if you're uncomfortable with that, feel free to listen to that for like maybe two minutes, three minutes, not gonna be a long time. But if you actually are like, hey, I have a prayer, I'd like COVID to end. Like I want Delta to go away. Like I want this thing to be over with. That's been a prayer that's been on my heart. You know, uh, I invite you to pray something like that. So what we're gonna do is, uh, I'm just gonna do like a count of three and then people can pray. And like, you don't have to shout, you don't, like you can if you want to, I guess, but like you can just speak in your own words, the thing that's on your heart. And I just encourage you uh, to think about God because God cares about us. He loves us. He doesn't want this to be upon us, to be still happening. And so in that same heart of, wait, what if God cared? Wouldn't like, can't we pray that way? Like, God, you care about us. Like, please stop this. I would love to pray. And I want to do it now, but I would even encourage you, as you think about it, as you're frustrated maybe, as you kind of tap into maybe some low or negative emotions, remember we can turn those things to God. So everyone understand what's going on? I'm going to do like a one, two, three, and then you're going to pray. And then I'll just speak louder, which is easy because I have a mic. And then we'll end that time and I'll give a talk that hopefully, you know, you'll get something from. So three, two, one. God, I pray right now that you would give us Jesus, we thank you that you are a healer. We trust that about you, that you heal us in our mind, in our body, in our spirit. And we trust that you don't just heal individuals, but you can heal whole communities. You can heal states. You can heal nations. Indeed, you can heal the world. God, it's a humble thing to pray when things feel so far out of our reach. But I believe you call us to be humble people who trust that prayer matters. And even if we don't have that much faith for it, that we can say, Jesus, can you just help, help that? Whatever I have, whatever mustard seed, whatever half of a mustard seed, God, could you use that and do something beautiful with it? So we pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Daniqua said, my name is Josh. I am one of the pastors here at ECV. And today's message is all about a journey. And we've been on one this summer. We've been on one as you know, a nation, as a world, as I was talking about. But this journey I want us to particularly talk about today is a journey of being curious about what does it mean to follow Jesus, to be his student, to be his disciple, um, to think about that journey? But before I get a little bit more into that journey, I want to ask you all if you remember kind of this journey, maybe from childhood, maybe from a ceremony that you were a part of, this journey of, oh, the places you'll go. Oh, the places you'll go. Now, I don't know if anyone's like a huge fan of this book, like... I'm kind of like looking to see if anyone was like, yes, because you might have some trouble with the next few minutes. Um, hey, I'm just saying, like, I, I read it. I read all of it again. Um, and, you know, it's, a beautiful, it's beautiful colors, beautiful colors in this book, beautiful font. But when you read the book, you know, as you read it a little bit older, you're like, oh, this book kind of hits different. It's just a little, it's a little strange. You know, here are some of the main takeaways of this book as I reread it in preparation for, you know, a deep study of Scripture. You know, this is, I think, the first lines of the book. You know, you have brains in your head. 
You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own, and you know what you know, and you are the guy who will decide where to go. I was like, uh uh-oh. There's a lot of like, there's a word we'll get to that there's a lot of. But I'm just going to give you a summary because we're not going to go through the whole thing. It'd be nice, right? But, you know, there's some next lines that are a little confusing. Like, hey, your town doesn't have nice streets. Like, you have some not-so-nice streets in your town, so leave. Leave town. That's the next part. You know, be awesome until you can't be because you can't always be awesome. You'll have to wait at times. Break out of that waiting place as quick as you can. Get out of the waiting place. Don't wait. Win until you lose, and you'll be alone when you lose. Then you'll face your problems, and somehow you'll succeed. Get on your way. Like, that's the book, right? You might be wondering, isn't there, like, some, like, creature, like, the Lorax, or, like, someone helps, or is there a community? Like, no. (laughs) Believe me, like, read it this week. That's the book. Oh, the places you'll go is, like, in there a few times. But there's one big word that you probably heard over and over again. You. You'll do it. You're on your way. It kind of makes me wonder, like, who gives these books for graduation? It's like, hey, I love you. I'm supporting you. Like, I'm with you. You. Like, the places you'll go. Like, not anyone else. Not with any help. Just you yourself. And, of course, you'll lose. It'll be hard. Don't wait. Just, like, try, like, yourself. Not with anyone else. This is the book. You by yourself with no one else. And it was a bit terrifying reading that again. Again, wondering about who who gives us a book again? Like, are they? Is this a blessing? I don't know. And as we think about, you know, our series, that journey is very different than the one that we've heard about, this journey of Jesus. Like, you know, for me, I'm thinking if anyone would go it alone, right? Like, it could be Jesus, the Son of God. But Jesus doesn't. Think about the last few weeks. You know, Jesus is with his disciples on a healing journey, healing this little girl, healing a woman with the issue of blood. We've seen Jesus camping with his three best friends as they see this big miracle. We've seen Jesus at the home of folks, Pharisees and sinners alike. And Jesus' disciples are usually right there with him, alongside him, together, as they proclaim and as they demonstrate the kingdom. You know, all summer long, we've been asking God to help us Behold the kingdom, the kingdom of God, God's reign and rule in this world. God's reign and rule as it comes from heaven into our reality in different ways. You know, remember maybe from some early talks, like the spectacular and the ordinary and kind of all the way in between. But what's the emphasis is is God's reign and rule, God's goodness in our lives. By beholding it, we realize just how different the world is from the kingdom Even a great book like, oh, the places you'll go. It's like, wait, this is pretty different than God's kingdom. God's forever home. And we realize that we're tied sometimes to projects, to other kingdoms, to things we actually need to shed, to turn from. Beholding helps us realize that there's other things we've beheld. There's other things we've been focusing on. And as we behold God and God's kingdom, we see, oh, that's different. As we behold it, we realize we can become kingdom people, people who prioritize what God is up to more than anything else, people who can be called to stay or to be sent anywhere. We behold God, and we also become like God. So we're involved 
We're led by Jesus. We're with Jesus. Oh, the places that we'll go with Jesus leading the way. But yes, this way is a bit weird. And sometimes it's weirder how we get to the place than the place we actually arrive. Like the journey, the process, like that's the strangest thing more than where we'll end up. And the story we're looking at today is one where around 70 disciples, students of Jesus, are led by Jesus to do the stuff, like this kingdom stuff, without him being physically present. It's a helpful story for us, right? Sometimes we're reading passages, we're like, man, if Jesus was here, like, we could do this. So Jesus isn't here in the story. So you have, a, you know, a little challenge. Can you do this? Does this seem like something you're up, to, up for? Something like Jesus might invite, be inviting you into? So let's look at the scripture, but before we do, let's pray together. God, thanks so much that you have an invitation for us, that you, Jesus, lead us, that you want to lead us even right now, even today. Like you don't want us just to like kind of watch or like just kind of consume or just observe. You want us to participate even in this service, God. That's what you're up to today. So as Daniqua, I think, already prayed, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are quick to follow, quick to obey you. Help us with that as it becomes personal and real for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So for the next, I think, uh, three weeks, we'll be in the book of Luke, like we've been in all summer, chapter 10. And then I think that fourth week, we're going to go right into uh, chapter 11. So if you want to follow along, you can break open your Bible. Or if you have a phone, there's Bibles in the back as well. It's Luke chapter 10. And we're going to do one part of that chapter. But we're actually going to be in that story, in that uh, uh, chapter for the next two weeks. And then we'll go to chapter 11 as we close out the series in three weeks. So here's Luke 10, and it's 1 through 9. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. However, whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I love Jesus because sometimes you just like experience his words and what he's saying. You're like, what? Like, what are you talking? Like, huh? And if this passage is a little familiar, we kind of maybe know like a little bit of a summary. Well, Jesus is sending out the disciples. But if we think about it, there's a lot that's a little bit confusing here, right? Like what harvest? Like lambs among wolves, all these like kind of things about peace. So we're going to do today is just kind of break some of this down. You know, this harvest that Jesus is talking about, he says that it's plentiful, but it has few workers. And yet there's an invitation for us to pray for workers, 
to pray for them to be sent into the harvest. We don't give up just thinking that there's few of them. We actually pray. And I think here's the weird Jesus punchline of it all. We are the laborers. We are among the laborers. So Jesus is saying, like, the harvest is plentiful. I mean, there's, there's few laborers, but pray for them. I think Jesus is saying, like, pray for yourself that you'll become one. And also pray that there could be more. We're praying for ourselves and for others to join us. The harvest is actually the world around us. It's already filled with the word of God. Remember a few weeks back we talked about this parable of the soil. There were different kinds of soil that represented our different kinds of faith life. All of us. Not just people that follow Jesus, but all of us. And it was all of the soils that had what? The seed, which is the word of God. But only some had a a soil that grew the seed. But the soil's everywhere. The harvest is everywhere. The word of God is everywhere. That's not scarce. That's not rare. It's in every neighborhood. It's in every part of our city. It's in every part of our country and the world. The word of God is the seed that's scattered about. The harvest is plentiful then, right? But who are those laborers? Maybe those are the ones that had the seed fall on good soil, that want to go and do likewise when Jesus teaches them. And Jesus is saying, those are actually few. Can you pray for some? And I think it's actually an invitation, can you be one of those? That's kind of like Jesus. Hey, pray, and realize as you pray, it's you. (laughs) Like, you're among them. The world is ripe with possibility for God's word to go deep into people's heart. And it turns out that we're the laborers that God's asking us to pray for. It's a peculiar harvest. And we're peculiar laborers. And I say that for three reasons. Because we'll see as we break down this text what is the kind of laborer that God is after. Because there's a harvest, but it seems like God wants a particular kind of laborer. And think about it. When you think about a harvest, for me, it's like, hey, just clean it up. You got it. You got the crops. Just come and get them. But there's, like, instruction here. And there's intention here. And there's a way here that makes me think it's not just about getting everything or about consuming everything or getting the most but that there's a way that Jesus is actually inviting his people to follow him in this harvest. So here's the three things we'll walk through today. It's Jesus' call as we go out for vulnerability, Jesus' call for peace and power, and Jesus' call for us to have an identification with God more than an identification with rejection. Oh, yeah, that one's going to be good, at least I think. So here we go. It was good for me. I was like, this is, this is helpful. So we're, we're going on a journey today to receive plenty. But we're told by Jesus that we're more like lambs than wolves. And I wonder the last time as a disciple heard Jesus say these words, that they felt as meek as a lamb. Like, I really wonder, like, if you're with Jesus, you're like, but wait, Jesus is doing miracles. He's doing, like, powerful teaching. Like, you're, like, in a storm, and then you're not anymore, and it's awesome. The storm is pretty scary. You're hungry, and then there's fish and bread. Like, Jesus is doing a lot. And I don't think necessarily their first thought is, hey, I'm a lamb. (laughs) I think it would be like running with a lion. They would be feeling, I think, kind of, like, jazzed up, like, juiced up, like, excited. Then all of a sudden, Jesus says, hey, your next thing is to go by yourself. And you're going like a lamb among wolves. Remember, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. This kind of metaphor and and vision of a lamb for our sins, the lamb of the world. 
that's not the Jesus I think these disciples have known. He speaks like that sometimes. They're probably like, oh, Jesus, you're just being weird. That's a, that's a parable, right? Like, that'll never happen. Because what they've seen is such strength from being people that were relatively weak in their own society. Jesus sends them out. Oh, the places that they'll go. But wait, is it without you, Jesus? He instructs them to be vulnerable, to embrace vulnerability. This is lamb living, not wolf living anymore. What does that mean? Don't take your shoes. Don't take your purse where your money might be. Don't take your bag where maybe you'll have some food, maybe some protection. Maybe you'd even have a sword. Don't take any of that. And don't even greet anyone. Someone that might be helped to you, someone that could know where you are, someone that could track you a little bit. Don't greet them on the road. You have a purpose here. You have a mission here. This isn't the time to bring things. It's a time for emptying yourself because you're expecting to be filled. You're expecting fullness and bounty. What does it mean that Jesus is so confident that people are going to receive something? He says, don't take things because you're going to receive things. Don't bring a bag to the brim because that's going to be a bag that you come back with, that someone else gives you, that's full of stories and blessing. The ways and works of Jesus. I mean, I resist this call to be a lamb all the time. It's so much easier to keep something that makes you comfortable, whether that's, you know, your money in your back pocket, whether that's the cash or, like, the plastic. You're like, okay, I'm fine. I'm okay. Your phone in case you need to call someone or in case you're just, like, bored and you want to, you know, look at the news for, like, the 14th time or Candy Crush again and again and again. And there was a place in me that kind of, uh, a place for me that kind of disciplined me to not have those things. And it has been in our ECV prison ministries, the one at York and the one uh, at Whaley, the New Haven Correctional Center. And those of you who went, you know how this goes. You try to bring a phone in, boop, 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 boop. you can't. You try to bring your wallet even, what, what's that? Like our Bibles barely go through. They're like, I guess you can take that. Like, it's the Bible, come on. They're strict. And for me, uh, going to prison, speaking out the places that will go and be sent, that was an unlikely scenario for me to go there. You know, since I've been a kid, my parents kind of drilled into me, you don't go to prison. You will not go to prison. I decree and declare this is not the place for you. You will not go there. And it wasn't even about, like, wrongdoing. It was like, if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you will not be in prison. That's just what they told me from a young age. They're like, hey, grace and mercy belong to God, not to the prison industrial complex. So, like, you need to be careful. You need to be okay. And in Iowa, where I grew up, let's just say that I was a pretty obvious target if someone wanted to profile or do some things. So I was like, okay, I need to be on my P's and Q's. And yet here I was a decade or so later, willingly going to this place because I felt sent by God. Sent without my phone, without my Bible, just my wallet, or just my, just my Bible, sorry. And I remember the first day, I think we had done York a little bit, but it's the first day going to New Haven Correctional Center. York is a women's prison. Uh, New Haven Correctional is uh, for men. And I remember kind of being intimidated and not knowing what that experience was going to be like. And I asked my buddy who was actually at Rikers Island, I was like, hey, uh, I don't really know how to do this. Like, have you gone to, like, any program? I think he said, like, no, he hadn't. I was like, well, that would have been helpful to, like, maybe copy. I said, well, what, what do you think would be, like, encouraging? He's like, yeah, like, there's this one passage about, like, a jailbreak. Like, I think a jailbreak would be encouraging. It's like, I think it's an Acts, like, Acts 16. I was like, that's a brilliant idea. Like, let's study a jailbreak passage. Like, this will be great. 
And I, I looked at it, I was like, wait, this is actually a really encouraging text. It says, like, where God is, that God is with folks that are incarcerated. They don't have to get out to see God work, that it can actually start on the inside. And there was something that I didn't have, but actually like leaning out to my friend that was incarcerated and then going, I saw, oh, they already knew that, one, but they were encouraged to be reminded of that again, for someone to go in with that word. A jailbreak Bible study in a prison. I went in like a lamb, COs by my side. You know, some are grumpy, some aren't. You can never really tell. And it was an environment that looked more like the underground world in the movie Us than anything else in New Haven. I think maybe three or four of us have been there. It, it really does look like that underground place, like nowhere else I've ever seen. It's an intimidating place. But a few folks came. And I was vulnerable. I was scared. But God's spirit was there. And people said, yes, God is here already. God is at New Haven CC. God is with us already. And you were sent to remind us of that. And guess what? You're going to leave. But we're going to tell the others. We're going to tell the rest. It was this way that you went in with nothing at all. And yet I left with hope that I think they are going to tell their bunkie. I think they are going to tell their CO. I think the word of God will spread. God showed up. And I believed I was sent there more than it just being a random place that I went to. I was sent. I think they feel sent out as well. Jesus teaches that vulnerability. What would happen if you went somewhere without what keeps you secure and you dependent on God as if you only had God? For some of you, are like, well, that's just my life. Like, that's, that, that happens to me. Go to that place with confidence now because of God. For some of you, it might require you leaving some things behind, experimenting with what it means to make yourself small and vulnerable to see what God is up to. We also have this invitation about peace and power. I want to read this part of the scripture for you. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Peace here almost seems like this like physical object. It's not like an emotion or a feeling. It's like there's a physicality. Like I toss peace to you and you would receive it. And then like you would give it back to me. Like that's the way that peace seems here. It's this recognition uh, that's just more than agreement. But it's a recognition of goodwill in a deeper place than one's own opinions. Like peace isn't about just us like agreeing or being on the same side. It's about like I think I have something that's like the peace of God and I'm praying it over something or someone and feeling like it's received back. I think the best way to describe this might be just to share a few stories. Uh, there was a time, I don't know why I was doing this, but it was probably six or seven months ago. I was on some website about a, a New Haven neighborhood, and I was kind of getting the sense that this neighborhood had a very strong vibe. You know, it was a vibe of maybe like uh, crystals, a vibe of kind of like vibes, a vibe of, you know, these vibrations, a vibe, a vibe, a vibe. I was like, this is very interesting. Like, I, I don't, this isn't familiar to me. And I want to like ask God to bless that community because it's part of my city. And I want to bless my city. And then little did I know, I got an invitation um, to speak in like kind of this circle. It's like, this is really strange. Like, why is this happening? Well, maybe it's because I prayed. I don't know. Like, I'm supposed to pray for the harvest, right, and pray for laborers, and maybe I'm one of them. But I remember going to be like, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do uh, in this kind of environment that had, uh, yeah, just a different kind of spirituality than I was used to. 
And what I did is I just asked God, God, would you connect me to some people? And sometimes in the scripture, it's called people of peace. And I remember I met like specific people. One of them happens to be my neighbor. One of them is another friend that I have now made. Where it felt like I kind of gave my peace and they sort of like welcomed me. And it wasn't because we agreed on everything. It wasn't because we had like everything in common. But there was just like this kind of goodwill. I was like, oh, I think this is a person of peace. Like I gave peace, but it came back. I've seen this actually with people on like opposing sides. And I think we've seen it together as a community. Uh, at ECV, we've been privileged to have relationships with folks that would be seen as like enemies to one another, whether it's like New Haven PD or whether it's been activists in our city. Uh, like about a month ago, I went to uh, a meeting for police. It was for pastors and community members that wanted to kind of help uh, when there's a crisis. Someone's uh, uh, been arrested a lot or uh, been kind of tagged or flagged off by the police and they're in trouble. They're going to maybe have more time or maybe they're going to uh, be involved in a fatal shooting, either as the shooter or the one shot. And so there's like a, a program to try to identify those people to help before that happens. And I was there. And I remember speaking to this person, it's pretty high up in our police department. And he was just like, I gotta tell you this story. I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, it's like I've been converted or something. Like, I just like heard this like, you know, uh, report about black folk and about how, you know, the police actually were originally, like they were originally people that were catching like enslaved people. I'm like, yes, this is true. Like this is, a, he's like, I didn't know that. And I was like, yep, that's true. He's like, and then it, it, he's like basically went on to describe like, if you watch the documentary 13th, like I don't think he watched 13th, but somehow like he discovered all those things. He's like, this is crazy. I'm like, I'm aware. Like, I know this is like, this is very crazy. And he was like, it's like I, I see things differently now. It's like I do my job differently. And I was like, yeah, like it's kind of like conversion. Like seeing something newly, seeing something different. Sometimes people just are looking for you to give them a little bit of language, right? I'm not like, hey, come to Jesus right now. It's in a, I didn't do that. But I said, it's almost like conversion. Like having an old way that you can't go back to anymore. And there's a new way that you probably don't even know how to do yet. He's like, I don't. I'm like, it's kind of clear, but, you know, you don't yet. But there's something new. I was like, this is amazing. And yet, there's some activists that a few of us know that are also looking for more, too. They're wondering, I don't think our marches are doing exactly what we think they're doing. I'm looking for more. And, you know, someone like Sister Daniqua says, more? Well, what does that mean to you? And she creates an invitation for them to say, what would be our community thinking differently? Like not requiring a march, but having commitments that we follow. Then someone like Daniqua says, well, what kind of commitments are you thinking about? And then maybe she describes her own. Right? I have a commitment. It's about speaking the truth. It's about partnering with God. I think there's someone called the Holy Spirit that can empower us. And we start to build peaceful relationships. Now I'm not sure if they're building them with one another yet, but we as people in God's kingdom who are being sent out can become these ambassadors. They can create these interesting communities that only God can do. Right? When you look at the stories of the disciples, like that's who they are. A zealot and a tax collector together. Well, God, through Jesus, just found a person of peace. One last one. This one's a funny one to me. It connects to the next point. Uh, man, when I was in college... Uh, I had these two really good friends, and I absolutely loved them. You know, some people you just you meet, you're just like, you guys are just, like, amazing. And the little thing, though, there's one little thing. Like, they absolutely hated that I was a Christian. Like, hated. Like, so mad. Like, they were just like, dang it. You are Christian. 
I hate it. And like one of them was like, and you don't even wear like a funny hat. Like there's no Pope hat for you. And as I like become a pastor, like, can you just wear a hat? Like, I'd like you better. Can, can ECV just give you like a little hat or something that signifies you? I'm like, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that at all. But they were so angry about it. Just thinking Christianity is so silly. <laughs> Patrick's like, I, I like the hat. I like the collar. Patrick has another sermon about this, like an addendum later. But, uh, you know, and they would just make fun of me. One, they were really into, like, stuff like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that. They're like, oh, so you're, like, about to be, like, a wizard or doing your wizard. I'm like, nope, I'm actually just going to church. Like, just mocking me all the time. But you know what I saw in them is they had a real hunger for something. They had a real hunger for really, like, this imaginative more or God's, like, power. And they, they really felt like, well, if God had that, well, of course we'd follow. But it, God doesn't because God's made up. And they were just very, like, obvious about that. Sometimes there's people, again, if we look for agreement, we'll never find that relationship. But if we're looking for peace, oh, they had peace and goodwill for days. I ended up marrying one of them. Man, hilarious. Especially, like, the conversation with his now wife where it's like, hey, like, how, you know, his wife's like, hey, how was he in college? Well, little twist of the story, she's Christian, right? And I was like, I can't even go into it. I'm just going to protect you. He was great. Like, he always encouraged me when I was doing stuff in my faith. Like, you know, God works in mysterious ways. There's something about peace that can overpower tension, that can overpower disagreement, especially when we as followers of Jesus aren't always looking for that. I feel like sometimes we're looking as followers of Jesus, hey, do they agree with this? Do they agree with that? Am I going to be safe here? Do, will they know me here? Will they understand me here? I don't think Jesus is saying that here. He's just saying, give your peace and see if they receive it. And guess what? I think I gave my peace to two folks that were angry about my faith, or like an idea of my faith, but that's the key. It was an idea of my faith. It wasn't actually Jesus. Are we going to be confident enough that we will get over our fear of rejection to live in the spirit and truth, looking for God's peace more and more? This is that next point I was talking about. Can we identify with God more than identifying with our own rejection? For some of us, we know the reason why, whether we're following Jesus or not, the reason why we don't talk more about spiritual things or curiosity that we have about God or our true relationship with Jesus, is just because we're afraid. And we're afraid of that rejection. We don't want to introduce another scenario where, man, my friends could already reject me for 8 million things. I'm kind of weird. I'm a weird, Josh, you don't know how weird I am. I'm just trying to have friends in general, right? Tell people I'm Christian, what? That, that's messed up. Why would you do that to me, Josh? But sometimes we're so afraid that we would feel rejected that that becomes our identity. Now think about this. I don't want to pick on, like, you know, the goth kid in high school. I don't want to pick on, like, these certain people I could pick on. But how many times have you seen someone or have you been someone where your whole identity has been that you've been rejected by someone else? How many times has that happened? I can think about times for me and, you know, even growing up with an older sister, just being like, oh, she's mad at me? I'm going to make the whole day about that. I didn't have to. But I was so upset that I was rejected that that's kind of just what I lived out of. Jesus says something different. He says something different about uh, identifying with God versus identifying with rejection. And it seems really intense, and it is. But I just want to give us a way of looking at it because I think I understood this for, in a new way this week. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. And I want us to stop right there. This is one of those weird verses and weird scripture. Like, what does this mean? But actually, there was something I, I, I kind of learned this week as I was thinking and praying about this. The part of it is like, if something's still stuck to you, you still live into it. 
if someone's rejected you and that rejection is still on you, you kind of do want a clean experience. And so part of what I think what Jesus is even inviting them is like, separate yourself from that experience of rejection. Like, take the dirt that, like, you feel was on you and actually separate yourself and leave it at that town. So you can have a new story. You can have a new identity. One thing that, you know, you don't get sometimes when you do close readings of scripture like this is we don't know that in the chapter before, Jesus has been rejected by a village, a village of Samaritans. I think Patrick's going to talk more about that next week, so I won't get into it. But Jesus and his disciples have just been rejected. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is, hey, just like separate yourself from that. Dust it off. Don't live into it. Don't feel like you're a rejected person. Don't live as a rejected person. Because you belong to God. That town will have to face their own decisions. And I don't think that means that like, they're like, destined for something. I think Jesus is like, hey, there's going to probably be someone coming right after. And remember, if we read the passage, Jesus is coming next. Like, these disciples are being sent out, and then it will be Jesus. So we're only giving people back to Jesus, who is mercy and love and goodness. And at the end, we see here, whoever listens to you, listens to me. And whoever rejects you, rejects me. And whoever rejects me, rejects the one who sent me. Remember those friends I was talking about? I don't necessarily think they rejected God. They were rejecting their idea of Christianity. They, I think we're accepting like, kind of this idea of Jesus that they couldn't just yet believe, right? I think sometimes we get really focused on people who reject like a thing that, honestly, we might reject too. But there's something about the person of Jesus. There's something about when we're sent that we can say, I can go anywhere and speak of the good news because I can always just dust it off, give them back to Jesus. I don't have to be scared. I don't have to overly identify with their rejection of me because I need to overly identify with God and who God is for me. One last story. We'll do a little bit more scripture, but one last story. You know, when I uh, went to prison one time, I had a CO that was a Christian, which I thought was kind of cool. Then he started talking to me. (laughs) And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Because what he said is, man, I kind of overhear your studies, and I don't really like what I hear. Like, you're giving them, like, a chance like, you're showing them, like, grace. Like, they've done wrong. Like, these people act up. Sounds like someone who's rejecting a God of grace to me. Nothing that person said necessarily is untrue, but there's an orientation of grace that Jesus wants. That's why Jesus is sending out the 70 ahead to have a forerunner of that grace, to have a forerunner of that hospitality, a forerunner of that mercy. And this CEO said, why do you even come here? They're not worth it. I don't want to reject anyone, but there's a passage here. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. Whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. We're rejecting God's grace for others it seems like we might have a problem accepting that grace for ourselves. I wonder if that's more of what it looks like, not just people who, I don't know what I feel like about Christianity. Again, don't some of us feel that way at times? But people who reject a God of grace because they don't want to give grace to others, which for me means usually there's an issue of them receiving it themselves. Mercy, Lord. Mercy to those folks. Three things. Be vulnerable. Demonstrate peace and power. Identify with God over identifying with rejection. What happens when we do that? What happens in the story? I think Jesus gets happy. He gets a little giddy. We see it here. 
At that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Anyone. Then turning to the disciples, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Anytime where Jesus is joyous, I'm looking, I'm examining, I'm trying to see what made Jesus so happy, what made him so joyous. And I think it's because he sees this stuff works. It works that you can be blessed by Jesus with peace and give it to others. It works that you can be blessed by Jesus with hospitality and then extend it to other people. You can be healed, and then you're the one that's in the room saying, are there any sick amongst us? Because I want to heal you in the name of Jesus. Jesus is overjoyed, and he says, you guys don't know. King David, King Solomon, they would have loved to see this. But you guys get to. What does that mean for us? Here's just a few quick things as we go over this and then just move into some invitations. The disciples can humble themselves now. They can receive hospitality. They can heal the sick. Disciples can give and receive peace. They can be defined by God more than rejection. And these things I think are true of these 70 disciples, but they're true of us too. All of these things can become habits, can become practices, can become ways we're sent out. Remember what I said earlier? Oh, the places you'll go. Lila, you're going to Palestine, that's amazing. But how will you go? We're going to places, but how will we go? In what way will we get there? So, a question for you. If it can be pulled up. Where do you want to see a harvest? Because Jesus says it's plentiful. So where do you want to see it? Is it in some field that you're affiliated with? Medical field? You know, housing law? Is it your neighborhood? Is it in your family? Where do you want to see a harvest? And where are you burdened? Where are you burdened? Because if Jesus tells me the harvest is plentiful, but I'm not seeing it, I'm burdened. Because I don't know why I'm not. I don't know what I might be called to do to be sent out. I think about our nation, and I'm burdened. As I think about how many people feel like, man, Jesus just couldn't be for me. I know what he's associated with. I, was, I saw the, the, the videos on January 6th. I saw the Jesus flag next to this flag, and I just don't know if I can go there. What if we're actually supposed to be sent out people? that practice a different kind of faithfulness. And then Jesus comes behind us. He's already gone ahead of us, but now he's going to come behind us and say, this is who I really am. Are you burdened for people to know who Jesus truly is? I think Jesus has that burden. He's inviting us, asking us to look differently. Hey, the harvest isn't empty. It's plentiful. The word is out. But where are the laborers? Where are you?
Jesus wants us to see a burden and to pick it up. This is something we do with others. Remember, two by two are the places that will be sent out. So I want to invite you to think about, even right now, just close your eyes, the places that Jesus is inviting you to be sent out in this city. But I want to also open it up. We've already heard a testimony of someone going to Palestine. So not just the city, but the state, this world. Where do you want to dare to believe that the harvest could be plentiful? Maybe challenge yourself. Where do you feel it's just not at all? And you want to trust in the word of Jesus. Maybe for you, that's like trusting about yourself. Like, I don't feel like the harvest is plentiful in me. Like, I need God to come here first. That's a great prayer. I just want to pray for us. Give us a few invitations. And we'll move to communion and worship. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would give us a burden that only can come from you. And it's simply about seeing where those invitations are. Where you're calling us to be laborers for you. Holy Spirit, come. Give us an imagination for that. We want to follow that up with prayer, follow that up with journaling, follow that up with just worshiping you, that you're good enough to say where you're sending us out. And you're good enough to be with us through your spirit in terms of how we're sent out. Help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a few quick invitations. Um, so the first one, sorry, I wouldn't be me if I didn't say this. It's a little nerdy, but hey, I'll, if you need a partner for this, I'll be your partner. You might need to give me a few weeks if everyone's like, uh, like, let's do this. But actually, just get a partner. Like, remember the two-by-two two thing? Some of you are like, oh, man, I came with someone. Now they're going to pray. Like, are you going to do this? Are we going to do Josh? I see it happening a little bit. It's okay. So get a partner, schedule 30 minutes, pray about where you should go, and just actually do this, like in our city. Like be sent out. It could be like maybe on your street. It could be on the green. It could be like in a different neighborhood. Just try. You're like, should we take a bag, Josh? Hey, read the scripture, pray about it, you know, make your own decision. I don't know if there's lockers downtown. Like we'll see. Um, But, yeah, get a partner, schedule 30 minutes, pray about the location, and try this out. Second, uh, what's the thing that you want to bring with you that Jesus is challenging you to leave behind? Maybe it's not as material as your sandals, right? But you know, oh, this is what I carry. And it actually kind of keeps me from being hospitable, from giving peace, from bringing healing to others. Ask to experience healing, peace, and hospitality. So you're not giving away anything you already haven't experienced or that you don't have. That one's huge. If you're like, man, this sounds awesome, but I need those things myself. Hey, we have a time in our service where you can get prayer and ask for any of these things. And also, you don't have to take this invitation from Jesus first. You can say, Jesus, I want to challenge you. Can I get this first? I think Jesus loves those kinds of challenges that we give him, as long as we're willing to stay in the game. And then lastly, identify where you are defined by rejection. And actually, in the mode of repentance, like give that to God. Offer that to God. Say, I think I'm really defined by a fear of this rejection or being rejected this way. Give that up and see what God will do. I'm going to invite the worship team up. Jesus does eventually go himself like lamb among wolves. He does that work of giving up his body, of giving up his blood, because he knows that in doing that, there's peace that he can offer, peace that he bought at a price, peace that actually came through his broken body, his shed blood. So weird, right, that violence to him could mean peace for us but it's because of the love that he poured out as he gave his own life. Today, I want to invite you to take your communion.
which I think should be either uh, right below your seat. If you need one, you can raise your hand, and someone on staff will give uh, a communion set to you. I want to take. I want you to uh, take this communion. You can uh, open up the bread, and I want you to uh, realize that these elements are peace offered to you. Peace that came through Jesus experiencing violence because he was sent out like a lamb among wolves. But take that bread and then eat it. You can slowly like, or quickly lower your mask, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> and then we're going to drink from the cup. His shed blood. And take it in. These are offerings of peace to you. Receive them. See Jesus giving you that peace. Do you feel yourself receiving them? And then now it's your turn to give to others. As lambs among wolves, as followers together, not alone, with Jesus, but challenged to go out in the world that we live in. God, extend your blessing. Be with these people. Be with us, God. Send us out to a harvest that is plentiful, to a place where there's few laborers, but send more laborers into the harvest and choose us, God. Make us people of peace in a violent world. And let us give that peace to others who so desperately need it. In Jesus' name.